In this podcast, we have Sharon Nizam, who is the current CEO of Touch and Go. He's been in the corporate world for over 20 years working in various industries like oil and gas, engineering and tech. In this podcast, we talked about leadership and walked through his journey from a fresh graduate doing accounting and law in ANU Australia to where he is now. Join this copy conversation with Ayman and Shazwan. Hello everyone. So today we have Sharon Nizam with us, uh, who is the current CEO of Touch and Go and incoming CEO of UEM Agenda. He has worked with Petronas, he has worked with MTU, he has worked with various companies with various backgrounds. He's also founded a couple of companies, one namely iPrintis, which is under Petronas, and also SBS Solutions. Um, you would know him now as a Touch and Go guy. He's launched Touch and Go Digital, he's partnered with Alibaba. Uh, so he's done a lot of stuff in digital and various areas like engineering as well. So welcome to the show, Mr. Nizam. Hey everyone, thanks. Thanks guys. Hello, hello, welcome. <laughs> so, so one thing I think everyone or our users would love to hear is, was a CEO, becoming a CEO always sort of your aspirations or your dream? Or was that something of an outcome of your work? That's a that's a good question. I think philosophically, um, no one basically starts the first day of work thinking that they would be CEO. Uh, um, but I think um, you know if you if you build your yourself and your capabilities over time, and you set yourself your own personal targets, not just your work targets. Ultimately, you will probably be driven towards the peak of your own uh, organization or career and and I think the CEO I, I guess the CEO ship during the time in which I was starting work in the early uh, 90s or the early to mid 90s um, the CEO ship was uh, this Superman leader um, who basically knows lots of stuff who basically travels the world and reads fortune magazine and and flies to London and New mm-hmm. York and you know um, mm-hmm. it's profile because those days, the, the stock market was booming and we, we were very influenced by the American Wall Street. So, so that was a sort of a persona that, that, that we would have of, of CEOs. And of course, as a young person working in Petronas, I, I had ambitions. Say, wow, you know, great. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, those days we were even reading uh, Donald Trump's book, uh, you know, The Magic of Thinking Big. And, and you know, there, there were a lot, of, a lot of these sort of examples um, that, that sort of influenced us. But in reality, to Shazwan's question, in reality, it is the, the sum of your work and your, your focus and commitment yeah. towards your, your work that really drives you to that outcome. And I cannot stress this enough that, that the accumulation of tangible skills that makes someone capable more and more today is being lost because people rely on technology without understanding the ability to think through what they should be doing themselves. So I think the complementary nature of technology somehow has um, overwhelmed the human self in some instances to the point where you don't build those tangible skills. And I, and I feel that CEOs, like most people who, who, who are sportsmen or athletes, um, they have to build tangible skills through practice, through dedication and commitment, through training, because the repetitive actions create that 
um, that that level of performance that that you don't see elsewhere. So jumping on that, right, Mister Nizam, um, when you say tangible skills, do you mean technical skills or like different sort of skills, um, such as soft skill or? Well, I mean, let's let's take the most basic, right? Let's say let's take the most basic of understanding how to install software in your own computer, understanding how to create a, a set of PowerPoint slides, knowing how to link that to a, uh, to a printer, um, and then being able to understand the outcomes of the work that you do. So in the days that I was uh, looking at this, you would not see this as a technical skill, but today it seems to be technical. But in those days, for example, when we were looking at None of the computer stuff you guys have now, but I know I was working on Lotus Notes, Lotus One Two Three. I was working with um, very very um, early versions of word processing and and PowerPoint, and we were almost taught to code or learn how to actually use this in the most uh, complicated way. Uh, it wasn't outsourced to a clerk or an admin person because. Um, they wouldn't know how to do it. So young executives were learning how to to use floppy disk, you know, write programs, you know, understand computing technology in a very deep way because you couldn't rely on anyone else. Uh, so, so as a young executive, I was an admin clerk as well as I was the the person who did research as well as the person who had to do the slides. Right, oh, but yeah, today, what your... you could really outsource that. You could really outsource all of that and basically just do the presentation on TEDx, right? And then suddenly, <laughs> you know, you're a, you're an expert. But yeah, have you heard of Lotus Notes, Simon? No, right? Yes, yes, yes. Of course, I have. Oh, yeah. but, then, I, but understanding well, it probably not so. <laughs> well, you know, Microsoft bought uh, Ray Ozzy's Lotus. Well, Ray Ozzy is the guy who created Lotus, and Microsoft mm. bought him. Ray Ozzy now is the CTO of Microsoft. I think he's retired now. But I just want to let you know, when I was interning in Microsoft, when I first entered the Microsoft campus and I asked for my computer, they laughed at me because I had to set up my own laptop. I had to get from all scratch? the parts and build my laptop from scratch. Oh, wow. That's how they teach you the power of computing. That's why till today, I, even though technology changes, the basics are still the same. Hmm. Right? I have a very deep understanding of how tech works because I understand how it was built. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so, Mr. Nizam, um, I have my own um, startup. So, it's called Seeds. Yeah. So, we do... Sorry, what is it called, Ayman? It's Seeds. called Seeds. Bidget, Bidget. Bidget, yeah, okay. like Bidget. The, okay. the inspiration was uh, like uh, the seed for you to grow. Lah. So, we do online career fairs. We connect uh, Malaysian graduates overseas looking for jobs back home. Recently, we have been um, expanding in helping the local graduates. Uh. But then what I realized is that my, uh, I'm the CEO. Um, uh, at first, I thought the title was uh, not, not necessary. But then when I talked to people and, and even during team dynamics, the title actually uh, does matter sometimes because that buck stops with you. Um, but one thing I realized for me, even though I'm the CEO, I always found myself in the operator role. I still have to do the uh, the integrity part of the work. Still have to do the admin stuff. So I know that's not uh, the same as um, your experience. But maybe you can share a little bit on how much does the CEO needs to be on the operating side on and compared to the managing side of things. Well, let me give you a perspective. When I was an entrepreneur, even when I built mm-hmm. I this, right? Um, I never 
thought of myself as a CEO. I thought of myself as a founder. You know, when someone calls himself a founder, and I see a lot of it now, you know, you're a founder and CEO or founder or chief marketing officer or founder or CFO. But a founder, by definition, is someone that basically lays the bricks and does everything necessary to create value. It doesn't matter about the role. It just matters that you need to get things done. So a founder to me is a much larger definition about, of, of what you are doing. Because, you know, one of the things that I, I, I have great um, uh, respect for the network I've built with people like uh, Brian Luke or Luke Holdings or, or Joel No or Fave. And what I find is a lot of these guys who also have the title CEO, they always think themselves as founder first. Founder generally has to be a lot more benevolent in in approach than a CEO. So CEO tends to be sometimes tending towards narcissistic, but but <laughs> but but founders tend to be a lot more altruistic because they, they need to think about ideals and principles and values and step further. Yeah and, and I think um, for for successful startups to me founder led is always an important part of the early building blocks. But then as the company scales, that's when the CEO needs to come in because you need to organize a lot more stuff in a corporate way when you've got a PE firm coming in and you've got to manage them differently. So that's, that's when um, you need a little, a little bit more discipline and focus mm. and strategy to drive your outcomes. But in the beginning, this is why I call Tangible. Mm -hmm. A real good startup is about a founder or a leader who knows how to get the best of all their people and their people connect to them by virtue of values, not because you're the smartest or you're the, the most technically gifted, but because they resonate with your message. And I think people underestimate the power of that. Do you think leadership is something that can be taught or it's something you sort of develop or even you grow up with it because you know some people are naturally leaders right but some people they have to sort of be groomed to it right so what do you think about that because it's different well i guess i would answer it this way right um leadership is something that needs that needs to be honed it needs to be practiced right um and the way to hone and practice it is to put yourself in leadership crisis or leadership situations that calls upon what your true leadership capabilities are. A lot of people talk about leadership, but they've never been tested. Mm. Right? True leadership comes when you're in the pits where you don't have money to run your business or you have to retrench your staff because the economy is bad or you have to figure out a new strategy that will change the way you think about your business um, or you go through personal problems, family problems. At the same time, you need to be able to you know, make it, uh, your ends meet. Um, and, 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 and life is the biggest teacher of being a great leader. So what I'm trying to say is that in my career, I've always put myself open to opportunities or career improvements based on the extent of the leadership challenge. I never shied mm -hmm. away from okay. difficult challenges because these are the moments that create your leadership capability. It creates resiliency and fortitude. It creates perseverance. Um, and, and that's what you really want to build. So 
So early days in Petronas, you know, I was part of the Sub-Saharan African strategy. We bought engine. I spent a lot of time in South Africa and Greater Africa. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people those days was like, well, why would you want to go there? You want to go to London, you want to go to US. Mm-hmm. But no, I want to go to where I can learn. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I printed, I learned a lot. Uh, SCOMI Group, I learned tremendously a lot. You know, how a local oil and gas company became global overnight over the next three years. Um, I was a young CFO managing 25 countries. So, you know, the, the, the idea of creating moments in your experience that are defining who you are as a leader is so, so important. Right? Oh, yep, yep. It's not about gaya lah. You know, some people think, yeah, oh, yeah. If I do a lot of talks, then it makes me a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, so it, I don't think it works yeah. that way anymore. Well, now I would like to, tested, uh. yeah, definitely. I would like to follow up on your comparison between the founder and CEO, right? So when you were an entrepreneur and then you transitioned to become CEO of Tashengo, what skills or traits that you realized that you need to build when you move into that new role? Well, if you look at it, um, I was not a, I was not a person who was in the financial industry. In fact, I was a complete newbie in the financial industry. It's a regulated industry under Bangalore. Um So that was a huge learning curve. Um, but again, the biggest skill that I had to draw upon was my ability to connect with people, right? And 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 when I can connect with people. Let's say my topic of choice is technology. People know me as someone who knows how to use tech or implement tech or be able to harness the power of tech. But to do that, you need to understand the kind of people that will be using it, embracing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you go into an organization touch and go, you can't just go in and sell um, tapware and all sorts of different things and tell them to use it. Mm-hmm. You have to engage the people at the very core in terms of how they behave within the organization and how they would behave when technology comes into play. So, so if you look at my first six months in Touch and Go, I spent most of my time um, understanding the profiles of my people, looking into building a shared culture that was stronger than they had before, uh, only because I wanted to prepare them for a leadership journey that involved changing the way they did things. So if you don't build camaraderie and strength in unit uh, or creating this unity, right, it's very difficult to make a change because people will always find reasons not to do it. So, so, so understanding your strength with people and people resonating with your messages is one of the most important skill sets I had to draw upon the last 20 years coming into Touch and Go. Um, and, and, and that relationship transcends, huh? Uh, government transcends uh, senior level leadership or lower level leadership, um, and all these relationship affects performance. Mm, okay. You know, have you ever wondered as a CEO? I mean, if you run a company of fifty people versus company of five people, your line of sight to the last person in the organization will get blur and more blur mm-hmm. um, as it gets bigger. But yeah. how do you know that person is doing his job so that you will get the performance you want? Just by shouting? Just by sending a WhatsApp? Just by sending a message that person is going to do what you're saying he's going to do? I don't think so. So, so, so the culture must allow that last person in the line to deliver so that you get what you want or the organization achieves what it wants. 
But jumping into an organization, can you change a culture that has been set in or do you have to um, show uh, what culture that you would like the organization to implement uh, from, from, from a point in time? Well, the good thing about, about culture is you can mold the culture. You can change the culture. And I think people outside have seen the kind of changes that I've uh, done with Touch and Go and the people who have supported it because you know, we've, we've changed so much in the last five years both in terms of outlook, branding, trajectory, business. Um, you can't do that without changing the people. Um, when I say changing the people, it means the way they work, their mindset. But I cannot change who you are. You see, people tell, oh, Nizam, you know, I can't change who I am. I'm, you know, changing someone's character is almost impossible unless that person wants to change. So it's not about changing human beings in, her, in terms of who they are, but it's about changing their outlook and mindset when they work about how they do things. Yeah. Right? Um, so we accept the diversity that people have individually, but we create a common culture of performance that will allow people to thrive whilst working with one another. Right? And I think these two are distinct. Um, one is very data-driven. One is very uh, fluffy and philosophical. Right? So, so I work a lot on the science. I also connect also to the sort of EQ portion of it. But the science is important because you want to give people tangible uh, criteria, uh, KPIs, and granular level of, of execution bits and points so that they know where they're doing well and where they're not doing well. Yeah. So I want to pull back a bit because a lot of our audience are younger. So when you were starting off in Petronas, you know, young, eager, wanting to do a lot of things. I mean, you did found Iprintis uh, age 29, right? So how does one set themselves up so that you can be, well, in your case, a CEO, right? So it's a, it's a building blocks, right? So you, as you said, just now it was technical skills, but just to build upon that, like what kind of things should people start doing or at least in the context of this generation, if any different from yours? I think I think the the even during my time there were a lot of um, smart young people um, eager to impress. But you know, coming into an organization like Petronas, for example, um, there are set ways of doing things. And I remember my interview in Australia. Um, the head of HR asked me where I saw myself in five years. This was a classic question, lah. You know, <laughs> yeah. in five years' time, <laughs> where do you see yourself? And everybody would answer, "I want to be a GM or manager or God knows what." <laughs> And I told this person who is a Tansri that I will create a new company for Petronas that they haven't seen before or a new department that will create value for them. And then he looked at me and said, no, that doesn't happen in Petronas. And I, <laughs> I, I looked at him and I said, why not? And he said, well, you know, you have to go through the, the, the hierarchy, the structure, right? And, and I never let go of that. I completely never let go of that. And, and if you, you know, just to tell a story, when, when I started in Petronas, everybody had a position except for me. I was designated as a, like a pool resource. Mm. Like anyone can use me um, on, in the corporate planning department. And in the first six months, I would be sitting in the filing room, helping people complete their management reports, reading a lot. I was, you know, uh, I was doing a lot of research, uh, learning about the industry, um, reading uh, uh, McKinsey reports, BCG reports, whatever reports I could do. I was just thirsty for knowledge, right? And everybody was laughing at me. They say, apa lah? 
eh hey, orang semua got title executive procurement executive this kau executive pool and and i felt really bad at that time because i think like mm. anyway one day um uh, uh, i was um at the president's floor and in fact the president's floor is off limits but one of the officers in the president's floor was my friend and and he knew that i like to read and and i i, I was in the pantry reading uh number of reports that was meant only for tantri president and um, mm-hmm. one day um, while i was there i didn't realize he came in and and and, and he he looked at me and said what what the hell are you doing uh, with this report and uh, <laughs> why why are you here right and 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 i was just like stunned i said uh, well you know i guess i need i want to read them because no one seems to be reading it and he was like what are you talking about i read them i said i don't know whether anyone else reads them but you know So I was actually having a a dialogue with the to me one of the greatest leaders we've ever had in oil and gas and even possibly in the country from a CEO point of view and Tanshi Hassan was a great man mm-hmm. in his day. Um and uh, and he looked at me he said hangwa lah oh, you can't be here I said okay <laughs> anyway um a week later um he what he would do is he will take all these reports he'll compile them and send it across the organization for people to read it lah and then they will sign their name across it but usually it's only for vps and above or sgms and above i can't remember right i, I obviously was the ant lah i'm like the lowest lowest uh, denominator in the organization yeah. uh, because he remembered what i said to him he put my name on that list and that list is a to very sign? short <laughs> And when when oh, all my bosses saw my name on that list they were shocked because oh. they didn't know uh, what had happened and all my friends were like who oh, yo bro you want any you know like country knows you and that was the beginning of my roller coaster ride with him i basically got promoted twice in a year i became one of the top candidates for petronas i was sent to all the top assignments thereafter and and it was partly because I was very rules. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was very enough to break the rules. Um, but I was courageous enough to also ask the questions. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of the current um, uh, millennials also um, the Gen Zs, I think you have confidence in abundance. It's quite clear that you guys are are very go-getting. You you know what you want. Um uh, but you're not so good with disappointment. And then, and that, I think that's part of the learning that I had when when I was growing up in in Petronas is that you have to deal with disappointment um, well because that's part of being a good leader, understanding how to be patient and going through those difficult moments. Um, I think now everybody wants a, a instant success. Um, you know, you want to do a TikTok video and get two million likes, and then suddenly you're an in, mm. instant influencer, right? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, but then when you don't make it, that's how we tell whether you're going to be a long-term leader or not. You know, do you yeah. have what it takes to pick yourself up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not easy. It's not mm-hmm. easy. So um, let's say that uh, some of our audience don't want to become a CEO, but then they want the traits that a good CEO have. So um, what would that traits be that you think are applicable in life um, and applicable maybe in uh, work as well? I think I think there are a couple of uh, perspectives you need to take here. I think one is a good CEO must always be entrenched in values. You must believe in something, right? If you believe in something, then your belief will lead to enormous amount of energy and passion for what you want to do. So 
so this value system is so important. It could be driven by religion. It could be driven by family ties. It could be driven by friends. But it must be the anchor in which you as a founder or someone who wants to do something different or someone who wants to do something on their own need to have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I give you an example, right? I don't know whether you've watched um, the, the Scent of a Woman. Um, nope. you know, uh, it's a, you should watch it because it's a, it's a, it's, it's a movie by Al Pacino um, and, uh, and then this guy, I can't remember his name, not Chris. Uh, Chris Evans, uh, no, not Chris Evans, uh, Captain America. There's another guy, Chris Kirkwood or something. Anyway, it's about this this school kid uh, who goes to a private school, comes from a poor family, but but gets a scholarship to go to a private school. And then um, in his spare time, he basically uh, helps this uh, blind uh, war veteran who got injured during the war. And um, one day, he basically saw some of his friends um, break the rules of the school and stole something and and he was called as a witness. Will you be able to have a decent conversation with him without having to worry whether who he is and what he is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and and that's 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 two humans interacting. Not a not a false CEO trying to impress Mark Zuckerberg. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um so another thing um I would like to ask you, uh, Mr. Nizam. So from from my side I always struggle on this um it's always hard for me to switch off my work mode okay um so i have a question for you um so i always struggle with this uh, particular thing is that i can or i can switch myself off um i always be uh, on standby mode um in case a client would reach out to me or a team member would have a problem so my question to you is do you ever um switch off your ceo mode and if if yes um how how do you go about that Actually, uh, I've now never switches working. off. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I uh, even when I was not CEO, I I don't I don't really switch off. Um, I see. I mean, I I guess I I don't want to encourage that behavior because um, I think people should have a balance in life that is suitable for them. Um, I always advocate that work life balance is different for different people. Um, there's no fixed way of doing it but I don't switch off because I'm constantly thinking I read a lot I, I interact with people a lot I, I, I look at new ideas uh, I constantly mm-hmm. look at improving myself particularly as well as my colleagues in terms of how we solve problems so so switching off is also a problem for me but what I try to do um, as well is that I, I, I try to find either sporting activities or, or friends that can distract me from from work Right, because mm. for me, work is not a chore. Work is a responsibility that I have taken as an obligation to society for me to add value. Right, so I I I I look at myself today philosophically um, as a person who needs to be part of an economic function where people rely on me to do a good job so that they can continue to have their jobs and that we continue to grow as a country. So so because of that. That, that agenda, although people may think that I'm crazy for thinking about that agenda that big, I think about it that way because I feel that we should. Um, simply because Malaysia is not trading, you know, with one or two countries. It's a, it's a, it's a global trading nation, right? So, so we have to always think bigger than, than what we're actually doing. So, 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 so for me, it's a bit harder to switch off. Uh, although I try to do it with, you know, with uh, bouts of exercises or, or activities, mm-hmm. um, 
right? But but it's not easy. Uh, but sometimes a lot of this not switching off for me is therapeutic also. Because I'm, I'm actually not switching off because I'm actually doing work, but I'm actually not switching off because I enjoy actually solving some of these problems. Mm. So... Okay, okay. That's that's good to know because um from from my end I it's also very very hard to to switch things off especially about work. Um, so we have uh, we have a question. So we actually ask this to all of our guests. So okay. if you are if you yeah. are not if you are not a CEO now, what would, what you, would, be? What would you be? Hmm. Good question. If I wasn't a CEO, what would I be? Uh, okay. First and foremost. Um, I would probably um, be working somewhere or doing my own business. Like, so I've, I've always been this in-between guy, right? I, I, <laughs> I could do my own business or I would work with someone. And, and, and because it wasn't about ego trying to make a lot of money or win contract. It was about which experience gave me more learning. And, and I think I would frustrate my father and people who know me well, my family, because they always look at progression as a step, one step higher. I look at progression from a... From a Learning standpoint. Yeah, non-linear perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, I would, you know, someone like me would be crazy enough to drop a CEO role and then do something developmental. Got no agenda whatsoever. Um, even though people might say, hey, you've got college-going kids, how are you going to pay this or whatever? I, I, I believe in myself and what I do so much that I, 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 I tend to say to naysayers that, you know, I, I, yeah, it's okay, I, I'll find a way, right? Um, and I remembered that uh, my father was upset with me when I resigned as CEO, uh, president and CEO of SCOMI Engineering and I was only mm-hmm. 37 at that time, uh, 36, 37, and I was already running a global engineering firm. Um, and he asked me, he said, um, what are you going to do? And I was sarcastically saying that, look, I mean, I've got qualifications, I've got skills, but at the very worst, surely I can spend 5,000 ringgit and open my own uh, burger stall. <laughs> right? How did he take that? <laughs> he didn't take it very well. Um, but, but the thing is that that... that that was my journey. I, I, I'm, I'm, by, by nature, I'm, I'm quite uh, rebellious, not so much in terms of physical rebellion, but mental rebellion, mm. right? Uh, for, me, for me, people learn in different ways and I, I don't like people putting me in a, in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I guess that defines my, my, my leadership. My leadership is that it's individual to me. I don't expect my children to follow me. Uh, they have their own, uh, you know, they have their own uh, way of doing things and, 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 and that should be the way. Mm, okay. And I think yeah. it's, it's very clear to see that you have a lot of interest um, in Islam. So actually, I have one more question. Sorry, Shaz. <laughs> um, mm. Do you think that uh, there is a place for a generalist in this new world? Or do you think one needs to be an expert on one particular domain? That's true. Uh, yeah, that's a good question, actually. That's uh, a, that's a good one. I mean, I, I People look at me as generalists. You know, I, I did a double degree, but I'm neither an accountant or lawyer. Uh, and then we're still, I, I'm, I'm into tech. So I don't know how that fits in in, every, in the overall things. Um, I think in this new era, there are certain things that every generalist must have from a technical point of view. And every technical person must have from a generalist point of view. So which means that um, if you if you want to sort of work through life 
in a very open way without having to figure what you want to do, you still need to be very tech savvy. You need to know how to use devices. You need to know how to interact with people socially, right? Mm -hmm. So in this new era, tech is so much embedded in your social life, you know. So if you if you detach yourself from that tech, you become completely almost useless, lah. Mm-hmm. Right. The the big worry I have about people who are too technical in the new millennial is that they are incapable of communicating with normal human beings without the tech. But generalists who have tech sort of inclination or who are savvy enough to use tech tend to be a lot easier to transit into a into a non tech sort of situation, right? Mm-hmm. So psychology is going to be an important part in your non-tech world today because psychology helps to mend the, 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 the social interaction between people and millennials working in, in different workspaces. Companies are spending time on, on um, uh, creating workspaces, uh, flexible environment. These are all psychology, you know. These are all psychology to create that feeling that they are they are more free to do the things they want. But actually, they are not because they are actually still working in an office. But it's the feeling. Lah. So, mm. so to me, you know, both technical and generalists have to have a certain level of synergy. So if you're a technical person, let's say you're a coder, right? Let's say you're a programmer or coder or, you know, you, you run uh, IT infra networking it's important that you pick up some generalist skills. So generally in my tech shop, I encourage them to have a lot more parties, engagements, uh, social events, because they need to behave like normal humans. <laughs> okay. Right? That's they need one. to behave in a way that is beyond their, their screens and their devices. Right? So I have a couple of old school arcade games on um, TNG floors where I will fight some of my tech guys uh, on Street Fighter or some of the old tech games like uh, 1942 uh, and, and that's how we connect right yeah. we we, we do right. things right so yeah I mean that that brings it to the end of the podcast we really want to thank you so much you've given us a lot of insights you know things like yep. thank how you so much. Leader, <laughs> what kind of what kind of uh, things that young people need to do to become leaders, which I think will be useful for anyone who's aspiring to be one, or even if they're not aspiring to be one, just, you know, learning a thing or two about someone who's already successful. So we really appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I think, uh, you know, you guys are doing a great thing here. Um, You know, creating this sort of podcast to, to inspire people, I think is a great platform. Um, and, and I think for people like me who, who don't necessarily like to talk to a screen or in this case, even an empty screen because we, <laughs> we're having a podcast, it's not an easy thing because I, I like to talk to people, right? Uh, but I think this is the new, the new way. And, 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 and so people like me have to adapt. And I can tell you, it's not so easy to adapt uh, if you're in my generation or even generation before. <laughs> so thanks, guys. Thanks for understanding. All right, from the All right. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you Bye-bye. so much. Bye.